Our first scripture is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out, out, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to only, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We continue with the uh, readings from 1 Peter. Remember that 1 Peter is one of the oldest, no, one of the newest books in the New Testament, which means it wasn't written until the church was facing persecution of the Romans. And so there's a lot of talk about endurance and patience and making it through suffering. It's a really apt book for this time in the life of the church. And I'm reading today starting at the second chapter, the 19th verse. For it is a credit to you if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He commanded no sin, he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Continuing further, let us look at Psalm 23 of the Hebrew Testament. Please read in unison with me as found in your bulletin or on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. There we go. And from Acts this morning, we pick up after the Pentecost story. Remember that Pentecost happens, the folks were gathered for a Jewish holiday called Pentecost, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes upon them, and there's sort of a reverse babble that happens where instead of being separated by foreign languages, they all speak their language, but they all understand one another, and they come together as a community of faith, and Peter rises and gives a marvelous evangelistic sermon where he tells all that Jesus has done from his teachings to his dying to his rising. And the text says, and 3,000 that day followed in their way and were baptized. And then we pick up here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it is the first Sunday of the month, which, as most of you know, is a Sunday when we should have a table here set for communion, and we do not. We do not have that table set this day because your pastor cannot figure out a way to do it in the midst of pandemic. It is a raging debate among the Vance community, if you may not know, but is indeed that how do we go about having communion in this time? It's going to be a hot worship and music committee meeting on Tuesday evening. I'm grinning for those of you who cannot see. 
in many ways I feel like I have failed as a leader in this church. I cannot figure out a good way to serve communion where we can be properly socially distanced and not pass along a virus or disease or whatever and still maintain the integrity of that sacrament, that sacred event, that thing that is so important to us. Part of the ultimate question that is raised in all of this is the people out there that are watching and listening are what we call a virtual community. But is a virtual community actually a community? When you can't see and touch and feel one another, when you can't be in each other's presence, when you're not regularly engaging in prayer for one another, are we a Christian community? The church on more than one occasion, on many occasions, has failed to be community. This week was the anniversary of the death of 37-year-old Rachel Held Evans. She is a best-selling author, New York Times bestsellers, two of them. She died very suddenly and way too young. She had much more to tell us about how to be a Christian community. And her friend, Nadia Boltz-Weber, has finally, after a year, been able to put to print what her passing meant. One of the things she says early on in that essay is that the two of them should never have been friends. Rachel Held Evans was a little kind of frumpy woman who wore, you know, nice cardigan sweaters and talked in a very quiet, mild-mannered voice. The first time that I ever met Nadia Boltz Weber, she is six feet tall, covered in tattoos. This entire side of her head was shaved. And she always wore, then wore a Lutheran pastor's collar, because she is the most Lutheran person I know. And she starts out her essay by saying, Rachel and I never should have been friends. Two different kinds of people. Both of us, early on, found great dissatisfaction in the evangelical churches we were raised in. And I rejected every bit of it. I turned instead to find every drug and alcohol, piece, kind of alcohol that would make me satisfied. But she says, on the other hand, Rachel turned back to the church and did everything she could to redeem it. different approaches to 
community to be sure. And today we hear what the early church's community looked like. There were four things that they did. Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers with an S. That S is important. Now it does occur to me that three of these four things can't really be done socially distanced. Teaching happens, and teaching, one of the things the church has done very well in the midst of this pandemic is that people are putting teachings out on Facebook, on the radio, on all over the place, so that people can receive the word of God still. But we can't really fellowship in this time. That was a time when they gathered together and just enjoyed one another's company. Breaking bread, we think, probably we think means communion. It didn't really, the the institutional church wasn't established yet at this point. So breaking bread for them was more like sharing a meal. We don't share meals in this time except with people we live with. And prayers. And the reason the S is important there is it's not prayer like individually I would sit in my home and pray for you. No, it's prayers like the liturgical prayers that happened in the temple. So they were expected to gather together and pray for one another. Well, can you imagine if they weren't able to do that, how much they would miss their community? The the early church probably would not have survived something like what we're going through now because the very fact of them being together was so significant. And I know that there are people listening and watching today, people in this very room, who miss the community of the church. Jane has done a very good job in the midst of this of giving our children and their families what she called holy work. Kind of like homework, only with Christian education in mind. And they, we have a, uh, what do you call that, a text message group where they share pictures and they share encouragement and they tell what they've been doing to keep up with their holy work. And one of our youngest members, Kendall, had on the, on the message this week, picture she made for Jesus because she missed him because she couldn't come to church now Kendall is three people of more mature faith probably know that just because they can't come to church doesn't mean they can't meet Jesus but there is something significant in the fact that we gather here together and find 
Jesus in one another. And some of you are looking at me now like, Lord, have mercy. Is she going to ever get to the good news? It's coming. It's coming. Understand that this is describing what became the Jerusalem church. It's one congregation's way of doing things. But it's an important way of doing things because it was among the earliest Christian gatherings. I mean, here's the thing that propelled them forward. They had specific ways in which they were doing things, and that's important. But beyond that, what moved them forward, and it says in here, they were in awe. Remember, this is right after Pentecost. The Spirit has moved among them. They have spoken in different languages and still understood each other. They have heard Peter's inspired, anointed sermon, and it has been so moving that 3,000 people are baptized and change their way to become Jesus' followers. The Spirit is moving in their midst. Ultimately, that is the mark of a community. So here we go, fellas. Whether our community is gathered here together or is gathering through radio and Facebook and whatever other means we have, how are we inviting the Spirit into our midst? I have just three suggestions today. And the first is to pray. Not just to pray for one another, not just to look and think or be today in the seat where you usually sit and wonder where Mary or John, who usually sit around you, are today and offer prayers for them. That's important enough. But pray that the Spirit come into our midst as a community and move us forward. Hey, I challenged you in January. What three people? Are you inviting into this church? Have you forgotten that just because we closed down? A couple of Sundays ago, we didn't have more than three people sitting in here. And that's okay. But we still need to be thinking about those three people. What's going to happen when the doors open again? I've talked to a couple of those people. Over the course of the last few months, they're excited to come. Be praying for them now. Be praying for the Spirit to move. I believe that revival is coming when this opens up again. The second thing I think we need to do is be open to the Spirit's leading. If you sit in your meditative place, whatever that is, and say, come Holy Spirit, come. Three times. And pay attention to what the Spirit is saying to you. 
It will move your life, and it will change this community, whether we sit here or whether we're gathered elsewhere. And then finally, the thing that we must take seriously is that we must move when the Spirit says move. How many times have you heard God whisper in your ear? Or even stand over you shouting and you think, oh, I I can't, I can't do that, God. You're asking too much. You're asking the wrong thing. You're asking the wrong person. Not me. Send somebody else. We're like Jonah. I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'd rather go over here. When a spirit says move, we got to move. And I believe one of the things the spirit is about to say to us is form a community of my believers for all of wheeling to see. The Jerusalem church that's mentioned in Acts was so important in the life of Christianity that without it, we probably wouldn't even know about Jesus today. But it wasn't them that made that happen. It was the Spirit that made that happen. They formed such a community of faith because of the Holy Spirit in their midst that people were begging to be part of it. And so this day, may we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Amen.